This is Upload Media. That's right. Welcome back to Other. Your your, oh, oh. No, you go. I want you to do it. Oh, you were going to say your favorite podcast. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say with your favorite hosts. Well, your favorite pod, your favorite peeps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Sarah Bitches and Caleb Hoes. I was going to say Hoes. Yay. <laughs> oh, my God. We're so in sync. <laughs> that's so cute. Oh, uh, I forget where I was or what we were talking about, but somebody brought up like this old thing that we used to do like in the 90s and like the early 2000s. We call people sluts. <gasps> oh, yes. Like, what's up, sluts? Hey, slut. <laughs> yeah, apparently. It's like very mean girls, you know. It is very mean girls. Yeah. Apparently, we weren't as like feminist as a people. No. Back then. I think that's also when we were calling people gay for like, you know, being stupid. You know? That's gay. Ugh, that's gay. Yeah. And then Hillary Duff had her famous um, advertisement that was like, "You shouldn't say that." Thanks, Hillary. Yeah. Done. Gay say rights. less, Hillary. Say less. <laughs> Ever since she spoke those words, I've never used that term exactly. again. Exactly. Ah, uh, cheers to growing. <laughs> Hashtag growth. Anyway, welcome to our pod. Produced, distributed, recorded right here in the heartland of the Midwest, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> Everyone's favorite city. Oh my God, Cedar Rapids. Hooray. Cedar Crap Town. <laughs> we love it here. I actually do like Cedar Rapids. I don't. Okay. Well, um, I like the Midwest. Good. Hope you come back after Europe. Okay. Well, I will. Mm-hmm. I'll be here. Okay. You can't get rid of me that easily. <sighs> Good. Caleb and I are having a lover squabble today because he told me he was going to Europe and I wasn't invited. And then he told me he might not come back. Uh, I was joking. Well, uh, that was not very funny. Uh, you didn't think so, apparently. No. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you ever heard the song Insensitive? No, I don't know what that is. Well, you should listen to it. But who is it by? I don't remember. Okay. But well. it talks about... Um, the fact that you're insensitive. <laughs> oh, I could not gather that from the name uh, of the song. Oh, Craig's going to pull it up. Oh, thank you. We love that. It's from the 90s. Oh, it's. I love a moody white woman. Who was that say? Jan Arden? Yeah. I, Jean, I've never heard of this. I, I feel like this was a one hit wonder. Are you oh. sure it's Jean? It looks like J-A-N-N, Jan. Oh, whatever. I can't fucking see, okay? Okay, well, um, we're about to hear the song, and I'm really excited about it. Um, this is a good, depressing, heartbreak tune for me when I feel like I'm being treated poorly by men. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what? I love this. It it's really um, emotion provoking. Oh, she is sad. She is sad. How do you 
How do you turn your eyes, Caleb? From a romantic land. What is this? Like, where is this from? <laughs> what is happening? I don't know, but I really like it. Here comes the chorus, guys. Here we go. Oh, I really should have known by the time you drove me home by the vagueness. There we go. Your casual goodbyes by the chill in your embrace. The expression on your face that told me Maybe you might have Some advice to give On how to be insensitive When is this from? <laughs> is what I want to know. What era of music? I, keep, I feel like it's one of those like... It was posted in 2009. <clears throat> well, it's oh. from the early 90s. Okay. I'm going to guess like maybe a 95 or 6 or. Okay. Oh, it's a 97 or. Okay, 97 or. Oh, there you go. There you go. I was close. Yeah, so it gives off 90s vibes. Mm-hmm. Picture little seven year old Sarah in oh, her yeah. room mm-hmm. playing her Sony boombox. Right. Jamming out to the sad girl song Insensitive by Jan Arden. <laughs> to circa 1997 in her parents' house. <laughs> In my parents' house. Oh. Crying. Of course. Because, that poor like, baby girl. Yeah, my little crushes didn't like me back yeah. because they oh. didn't like black girls, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't have the verbiage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. Womp. <laughs> we were going to have a happy day or we a were. serious day. I feel like when I first saw you today, I was like, okay, yeah, hooray. <laughs> Talking today. I love my friend. Today is a great day. It's so sunny. It's so nice. And now it's like, oh, duh. Yeah. Oh, oof, duh. Are you Norwegian? I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I like to pretend that I am because I'm in the Midwest and there's a lot of, you know, Scandinavian things yeah. up here. So, well, we used to say oof, a lot. Yeah. It's a thing that people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway. What's been going on, <laughs> boo? Well, um, I've been going to therapy and I've been going to massage therapy and I've been going to sound meditation therapy Yeah, and I've been going to like a form of group therapy and I work. Wow. I sleep. Wow. I know. That's a lot of therapeutic time. I'm a mess. I was going to say, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you're healed? But clearly not. No, I mean, I do feel like I'm good. You know, like when people ask me how I am and they mean it, like, how is it going? I'm like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, things are fine. Mm-hmm. I'm managing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Yeah, like things are going (laughs) okay you know they're not stopped they're not like blocked they're not like you know rough yeah they're smooth i wouldn't say that they're they're going okay you know i like that life is still on its hinges you know it's not unhinged Mm. um it's got its wheels attached it's still rolling forward so whatever that looks like but you know some days are better than others Mm -hmm. so here we are yeah, <laughs> <laughs> here we are. <laughs> How about you? Um, I'm cool. I got my period. Oh, thank God. Yeah, because I knew the way I was acting last week that something was going on. I feel like... Is it always a surprise for you? No. <laughs> I <laughs> like, pretty much know. Something's going on. Yes. 
I remember last week when I was like, oh my God, I'm being so weird. I think I'm going to get my period. And you were like, not everything's tied to your hormones. And I was like, yes, it absolutely is for me. Mm. Like every time and not everything, but I feel like I get to this place where the behavior (laughs) that I'm encompassing is not at all rational or within any normal realm of me. And then I know that something is going to happen. And it did. And it was fucking menstruation. So there we go. Well, we and know now I'm, I'm feeling more normal. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your face is telling me something. Well, I'm still upset with you, but oh, okay. I'm feeling more normal. <laughs> I just want you to know. So that's where I'm at. Oh. That was cool. Um, What else? Kids started school. That's great. Oh, yeah. The kids are back in school. Yeah. How I wish they'd stay be? there. They only went to school for three hours today and yesterday. Oh yeah, because I of heard heat. About that. So all these plans I had for my uh, time mm-hmm. to be childless. Yeah, just for a little bit. There was not any childless time. By the time I like mm. said goodbye to the last child, I was preparing for the first child to come back home. Yeah. So that seems like a mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Besides that, though, life's great. Mm. For some reason, it makes me think of like when there was a shutdown and like parents had to have their kids home from school all day mm-hmm. and parents were like losing their minds because they like didn't know how to parent parent mm-hmm. and not to say, you know, that like they don't know how to parent is more just like unending kid time, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that, you know, parents need breaks. Yeah, I support that. But it was kind of like tragic and also very funny. Mm-hmm. That so many parents were like, ah, I'm losing my mind. Yeah. So I have to spend all day with my kids. It's like, oh, poor you. Oh, that must be hard. Yikes. You're the one that chose to have them. <laughs> right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting <clears throat> because during that time, I was still working 40 hours a week or at least 20 mm-hmm. hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids, you know, were splitting time between our house and their dad's house. So I didn't have the unending parent time. And when I was home, I loved it. Uh which is part of what inspired me to leave my corporate job. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. So I had like the opposite reaction as a lot of parents. Mm. Yeah, and I've enjoyed our summer home. But I do need to like start doing things. Mm -hmm. And so I would like them to stay in school a full day. Yeah. Um, Last night I did something really fun. Tell me more. I will. I went to... Mirror Box Theaters. Oh, we love them. We love Mirror Box. They have monthly a show called It's a Karaoke Show or It's the Karaoke Show. It's the Karaoke Show. Yep. And they have featured performers each month. And each month those featured performers pick a song and then tell a story about the song or relating to the song that they're singing. And there's a theme, right? Yes, there's a theme. So Mm. last night's theme was It's a Corny Thing. And How very Iowa. It truly was. <laughs> and there was only one story that actually related to the To actual corn. Yeah. Corn. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Um, I loved it. If you have been living under a rock, then this is news to you that I love karaoke. Mm. But if you've been listening to our words. If you actually hear anything that we're saying to you, then you yeah, would know. You would know. I love karaoke. So does Caleb. Yeah. So that was really fun. I karaoke'd. I and you sing some beautiful songs. I did. I didn't sing insensitive. Well, though. you're going to next time. I'm sure you are. 
I can almost maybe. put money down on it. I won't because no one knows that. And I want to get the crowd pumped. No, but the thing is about 90s music is that so many people do know it and they forget that they know it. Well, you and Craig didn't me. seem very moved by that tune. I felt moved and it was my first time hearing it. I thought it was beautiful. Thank and you. it kind of jumped around a little bit and people were talking over it. Yeah, me. Yeah, you. <laughs> But I was moved. So what I'm going to do after <laughs> recording this episode is I'm going to go into my car, watch and listen to the music video. Yeah, watch the music video. I, oh, yeah. No, it looks dramatic AF and I'm so into it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good song. It's probably not. I've never heard of anything else by her. But anyway, I did karaoke. I love karaoke. Mm. It makes my inner child scream with glee. <laughs> Glee. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I love it. it. And that's that's that on that. And that's so cute because that was at Mirabox Theater, and they do that what every Wednesday? Once a month. Well, once a month mm-hmm, on Wednesday. On Wednesdays. So I don't know when the next. Um, It'll be sometime next month. Yep, sometime in September. Okay. And then in October and November and. December. December. Oh wow. Okay, that's how that works. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for yep. that. <laughs> <laughs> so support local. I, I know you've heard us say that before, but it's really important. I want to see that theater thrive mm. because they have extremely accessible shows. I love that. Me They're too. doing great work. They are. Great job, Kaven. Hey, Kaven. Hey. Um, so what's been going on? What are we talking about today? Tell me everything. I will. So today I was thinking, Caleb. Oh, yeah? Yeah. For the first time all day, I was thinking. Oh. Just kidding. I I thought earlier. I was thinking that we could <laughs> talk about therapy. Oh my god, yes. And I'm so much I'm sure we don't talk about therapy enough here. Right. But And I'm so into therapy, as you can tell. You are. You've you're doing therapy in a myriad of ways and settings. But specifically like what we have to gain from therapy or what mm. we've gotten this far. What our own personal experiences of therapy have been. Mm-hmm. What our own personal takeaways have been. Yeah. What our therapists have been telling us to do and to process. Yeah. Oh, okay. I love that. Me too. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. So Sarah, how about you tell me about your journey with therapy? Okay. So how long have you been in therapy? What kind of therapy is it? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I've been in therapy about 20 years on Mm. and off. Um, I started therapy when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. And I have seen a lot of different therapists. um, I think like, well, maybe four or five, maybe five. And it kind of looks different at every phase in my life. Yeah. I feel like... Well, I'm assuming there's a different kind of therapy for when you were in middle school yeah, than you are experiencing now. Kind of. I think that 20 years of therapy gives you an insight um, to how to structure your own sessions to get the most out of it. Okay. So I feel like I'm a much different participant at 30 than I was at... 13. So you kind of what you're saying is you know how to get out of it what you want. Yes. By putting into it mm-hmm. what Got I it. need. Okay. To get out what I want. Got it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's looked really different over the years, and I've met with psychologists, um, psychiatrists, just therapists, mm-hmm. um, counselors. So it, but it all basically has the same 
purpose for me. Uh, talk therapy is my favorite. I've done like cognitive behavioral therapy. I have done um, hypnosis. I loved that. Hypnotherapy. Yes. Interesting. That is super fun. I have done <laughs> what? No, I just like, I don't know. For whatever reason, it doesn't sound fun to me. It sounds scary a little bit. Oh, really? And maybe it's because I'm thinking about Donnie Darko. I think that hypnosis is not what you, well, and maybe there's a difference between like hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Sure. The state of mind you mm. enter, but it's not like you are not present. Mm -hmm. You are fully present and awake and like participative. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just done like normal talk therapy. I love talk therapy. Have you done like EMDR or anything like that? No, I mm. want to though. Yeah. But I've learned that there are, even though there's a gazillion different types of therapists out there or mental health professional, each one kind of chooses their own specialty. Right. And what they like. So they um, become like specialists or like niche, um, niche providers. Providers. Basically. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it it's just all looked different at different times. So what me. does it look like for you now as <laughs> a 32? Just 30. 30. <laughs> right. Okay. As a 30-year-old. <laughs> having been in therapy for 28 years. Well, what do you mean? What does it look like? Like, well, what is the kind of therapy that you're getting now? And so what does right it look like? Look like for you? And how did you find the therapist that you have now? Because you were talking about how you know their therapists are doing different things. They find specialties or whatever, and you finding the therapist that works for you. Mm -hmm. So I do talk therapy, just normal ass mm. talk therapy, like the shit you see on TV. Sure. Um, and I like that because I'm pretty self aware. So I've done a lot of digging. Um. I kind of know the things I need to work on. I think that's one thing that helps is if you can pinpoint very specific goals um, to try and achieve or to use as like a a progress marker. Sure. Um, that's helpful for you and your therapist. And before seeing my therapist, her name is Amanda. Um, <gasps> hey, Amanda, I love you. My therapist is named Amanda, too. <gasps> Shut the front door. I know. What How crazy odds? is that? So cray-cray. Before meeting Amanda, um, I had seen primarily white men. Cis, hetero, white men. Boo. Ew. No, I'm just kidding. Love you, Craig. <laughs> love you, Craig. <laughs> I, but as... I feel the love. <laughs> <laughs> as a black woman, you know, they can't relate to me mm. at all. Right. Really. Um, and as I entered adulthood, I actually asked my last two therapists if they could recommend for me a female minority therapist. And neither one of them could. One was a man, one was a woman. And they're both like, oh, man, oh, we just don't know anyone. And I was like, OK. So I ended up asking my general care provider who happens to be a black woman, shout out Dr. Awa, who I love. Um, because after all of the awakening that happened in 2020, I really started placing my attention, I guess, and prioritizing 
um, spending my money with people who actually share the same values as me. So whether that was buying clothing or, you know, sending my insurance money towards those people. So mm. I found a black general physician who I've been seeing for maybe like seven or eight years, Dr. Awa. Um, and I asked her, I'm like, I need a female minority therapist. Mm. And she was like, okay, well, you know, there's not very many, unfortunately, but let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And she actually called me at like eight o'clock on a Friday night with a list of like three <laughs> because that's all there are here. Mm. So one of the um, providers she recommended, one of my really close friends already saw. So I was like, eh, I need my own personal my own personal therapist. Right. You don't want there to be a conflict of interest or right. whatever. Yeah. And then I found Amanda and <clears throat> um, met with her and we just, I felt immediately comfortable. Mm. There are things I want to talk about in therapy like my activism or the racism I experience mm -hmm. or even my use of psychedelics or um, different addictions that I have had or maybe will have in the future. Um, mm -hmm. I want to talk about single parenthood. I want to talk about co-parenting. I want to talk about raising minority children mm. that I just feel uncomfortable talking to white men about. Sure. You want like somebody who can kind of empathize better, mm -hmm. right? See the world through that kind of lens. Yeah. Or at sure. least not be put off by what I'm saying, mm. because if again, if you've listened to the podcast, sometimes I just say what I'm thinking and I don't tailor it in a way that would make everyone really happy to hear what I have to say. Well, right. Like you shouldn't have to like, um, what is it? Code switch, right? Right. Not for my therapist. No. And I found that that was something that um, I was doing a lot in therapy. Mm. So... Um, I found I did not have to do that with Amanda and I just felt really comfortable. And after a couple sessions, I was like, okay, yes, you're, you're the one that I want. And you're they, the one that I want. Yes. There was grace sung last night at karaoke. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, um, it's just been a match made in heaven for me anyway. Hopefully she feels the same. Mm. Actually, I've learned she doesn't feel anything about me. Good or bad. <laughs> So well, there has to be some kind of separation, right? You don't yes. want them to be like your, well, I can understand wanting them to be your friend, right? But it's like those memes that are like, the whole point of therapy is to become my therapist's favorite patient. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, that's just, I absolutely I 100% agree with that. I want to be like, what kind of cookies do you like? I'll bake them. <laughs> like, do you, you like, like flowers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I bring you one that oh I grew my on my own with extra love? Right. But it is such an important part of my life. I tell everyone to try therapy. Mm. And then there's the people that are like, I don't need therapy. And I feel like those are the people that need therapy the most. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also tell people that it's like dating. I know I've said that when we've talked about therapy in the past. Just because one relationship doesn't work out, you don't swear off dating. Right. You keep trying new people. Mm -hmm. You learn what you what non-negotiables exist for you. Yeah. You learn the things that you need to feel safe and then you bring that to the table the next time you try. Yeah. So that's what I have done. And I'm getting more out of therapy right now at 30 than I have ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> 
I love that as a 30 year old, you finally are getting the things out of therapy that you need and want. My question too, is this brings up something that I actually talked to my therapist about was, um, this idea of being in therapy for a while or like Mm -hmm. what the point of therapy is or like, how do you win at therapy or how do you like, you know, get to the point where you don't need it anymore. You like, when do you know you've arrived? Right. Yeah. All those things. And I still don't really have an answer for it. Um, you know, because I, I feel like I've gotten to a place where I'm, I'm managing pretty well, you Mm -hmm. know, that like the things in my life are, um, I'm, I'm regulated most of the time. I know I feel like I have tools and resources at my disposal to, um, kind of come down when I feel highly activated, um, or like emotional or chaotic or, or feel like I'm falling back into old patterns. Um, so that's something that I, I guess I'm exploring mm-hmm. and I want to know your perspective as a person who's been in therapy a lot longer than I have. Mm. Like what keeps bringing you back? So, I mean, depression is a lifelong illness sure, and it's something I'm going to struggle with um, forever is basically how, what I've come to learn. So for me, uh, making sure that I stay on top of the things that, like you said, help you to stay regulated are really important. For me, that's therapy because I don't always know when I'm going to have a depressive episode, essentially. Um, so I try, I think again at 30, there are things, safeguards basically that I'm trying to have in place Mm. so that I don't spend the time trying to, um, initiate recovery efforts towards things that happen Mm -hmm. in a low time. What's that? Um, I feel like there's a word for it. It's not like you're, um, oh God, like what are physicals for? It's It's like preventative maintenance. Preventative maintenance, Mm -hmm. preventative care. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I have all of these tools and resources for when I Mm -hmm. am not feeling like I am able to work through things on my own. Sure. It's a structure in place that you've put in Mm -hmm. your life Mm -hmm. for when things get rough. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. And again, I'm pretty aware, so I know, and I've been doing this a long time, so I kind of know like what I can work through on my own and what things I need to talk to. A lot of things, you know, I'm learning where these traumas or triggers derive from. I can resolve a lot of it on my own, but I still like a sounding board. Mm. And sometimes for me, I'm a verbal processor, so I have to say things. And I find that when I say things to people, it doesn't always make sense. And not just like therapist people, like normal, my loved ones. If I'm trying to verbally process big, heavy thoughts and feelings with friends and family, um, it might scare them. So I need someone who's right, not scared. Right, or make them uncomfortable or yes. whatever. Yeah. So it's nice for me to have someone who isn't um, threatened or afraid mm. when I tell them things. Yeah. And can make me feel like, all right, this is normal. And it doesn't mean you're like losing your shit. Sure. It just means that this is a thought and mm. there it is. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you get a lot of like validation or like affirmation in some way. Yeah. Kind of. And I guess 
don't be fooled. Like therapy isn't a time where I go and seek validation and someone to tell me that I'm always right and I'm doing the correct thing and that my behaviors are rational and fine Mm -hmm. because that's not always the way it goes. But it's someone, it's a safe place for me to land some of my bigger thoughts and feelings that um, my loved ones might not have the capacity for all the time. Totally. What about you? Um, my first experience with therapy was actually, um, in college. So the Christian college that I went to, uh, had a, uh, Christian counseling, um, course or program where, uh, the students would learn or take, you know, psychology classes and stuff like that. Always rooted in a biblical foundational, you know, worldview type, um, place, but, uh, when I came out of the closet and I told the dean of students that, you know, I had had a, a homosexual relationship and um, had broken the student life guide and all that stuff, um, there were a couple of things that he kind of basically forced me into. Um, one was I was on probation. Um, the other is that, like, I had to um, go to therapy. And I feel like there was something else, too, that was pretty, like, ugh. Um, but the therapy actually ended up being positive for me. Because it wasn't the therapist that I got wasn't um, in any way trying to like cure me of homosexuality or wasn't trying to like convert me back or anything like that. But um, I ended up having a really great experience with them. Um, And I had two while I was in school, Um, one each of the years that I, you know, was on probation when I was finishing up school. and then after I graduated from college, um, I didn't have a therapist again until like, what, five years later when I moved to New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in acting school. My uh, acting coach, Terry Knickerbocker, was uh, basically very adamant that we all needed to be in therapy and kind of gave us a bunch of resources um, to be in therapy and to kind of talk about all this stuff. And so I was able to get in with this uh, guy um, guy therapist who um, was amazing Mm -hmm. and I loved him and it was on a sliding scale. Um, And so I saw him all the way up until I left New York and came here. Um, And that was one of the harder relationships to leave actually when I left New York because that was really kind of, um, I felt like we had started to do a lot of good work together. Um, And when I moved here, it took me about six years to find a therapist. and I got in with this girl named Amanda, and uh, I found her through um, Psychology Today, mm. which has that like resource mm-hmm. basically um, has like uh, a directory almost of therapists, um, and you can kind of put filters on and whatnot. And I found Amanda and um, reached out to her, and yeah, she her whole approach is um, her her specialty was LGBTQ focused and. Um, dealing with people who are dealing with a transition, um, being trans people or um, that that focus, I guess, right? And so like, I was like, oh yes, a gay-friendly therapist, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to her office and her office is pink Ooh. and fluffy. Ooh. And she has rainbows and flags and it's really extra so it physically feels safe mm, too absolutely it's comfortable and it's gay as fuck oh i love that i know and i love it and uh 
She's been with me through, God, so many different things. Uh, the breakup with my ex, um, my like psychotic breakdown when I quit F and F, and uh, dealing with all of my alcoholism issues, and um, you know, buying the house and moving in, and all these things essentially over the past like year or two years. Um, and I don't know what I would do without her, mm -hmm. honestly. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of ways, I knew that like I needed to get therapy because I had felt like my mental health had been horrible, mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of just out here, you know, raw do raw dogging life, you and know? not in the fun way, and not in the fun way. Life was kind of raw dogging me in a Aww. lot of ways, you know. Um, and now uh, I feel like, um, in my experience of therapy, this is definitely the best therapist or therapy experience I've had. Um, and I think the per person that I had in New York was such a good therapist and I've like reached out to him um within the past like year and a half year um to tell him that like I really appreciated him and what he did for me um and that I kind of missed seeing him but um I definitely have that like connection with my therapist where I'm like I want to be your best friend mm -hmm. and I want you to give me the gold star and I want to be your teacher's pet mm -hmm. and I want to win at therapy mm -hmm. you know and uh <laughs> it's uh it's silly um but I think she sees me Right. Like, I think she like knows where all that's coming from. And she's really like kind and compassionate and gentle towards that and towards me. Um, so I it, it's invaluable. I agree. Is the kind of I don't know my experience where I'm at with it. I love that for you. Mm. I want to talk more about therapy after we take a little. Break. Oh, that's a great idea. I know. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. OK, bye. I love talking about you. I love talking about you. Oh my God. <laughs> Only to your face though, not behind your back. <sighs> Thank you. I appreciate that. You're, You're like a real friend. Yeah. If I'm going to talk shit about you, I'm going to fucking tell you to your face. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything to tell me to my face? I already told you. Okay. How I felt. Yeah. You're upset. I get it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Um, Sarah, what I want to know. Uh-oh. Getting back into this conversation that we're having about therapy, about that big T, you know. The big T. The big T. <clears throat> is uh, what has been the biggest takeaway from your therapy in the past six months? Mm. So um, one of the major things, well... Something major that's happened in my life within the past six months has been connecting with my biological family. Mm. And when I was able to locate um, my paternal family members via my DNA test, I was super excited, obviously, because this has been like a lifelong dream of mine. Mm -hmm. And I shared it with my biological mom, who, if, again, if you've listened to the pod... You have heard that we have a complicated relationship. Um, in the past 
year and a half, she and I had started, I felt like we were working on our, our relationship, mm-hmm. um, working on having a relationship, building consistency. You guys had come to a place. Yeah, we'd come to a place of something that felt more reciprocal yeah. to me. Um, and I thought we were enjoying each other's company. So when I shared with her that I had found um, some siblings on my paternal side and also an, uh, another sibling on her side of the family, she basically was like, well, bye. That's it for me here. Wow. I'm out, which was really hurtful. So yeah. I have some huge abandonment shit mm-hmm. just because of adoption um, and relationships gone wrong. Um, so that, that was big for me. Um, that was very hurtful, obviously. When I started connecting with my brother and sisters on my dad's side of the family, they were all just immediately welcoming. Um, we connected really easily. It felt like they were prioritizing me in a way that I had not felt from my biological mom Mm. or my sibling on her side of the family. And I remember telling Amanda like how excited I was that my siblings were excited I existed because one thing I've tried to keep in mind through this journey is how I would feel if after 30 years of life, some rando popped up in my inbox on Facebook saying that they were my sibling and that their parent had given, you know, had a baby that mm-hmm. never came into fruition. Um, and the myriad of emotions that would make me feel. So I've always tried to keep that in mind um, and be respectful of however my siblings felt, whether they were receptive and happy I existed or if they, you know, didn't want to talk to me or if they were angry or resentful or whatever. So when I was telling Amanda how excited I was that they were excited, she said something that will probably always play in my mind for the rest of my life. She was like, see how it feels to have someone love and appreciate and welcome you for being you and you don't have to do anything. Mm. And I was like, God damn it, Amanda. (laughs) She hit the nail on the head. She hit it. And that's probably the most profound thing that's happened in therapy, like Mm. having someone identify that for me. Um, because I am a huge lover. I love everyone in my life. Yeah. To a fault. You really are. Yeah. So even though I don't always sound like I'm a lover. Is it fair to pod, say that you're like a lover and a fighter? I mean, I love so much that I will fight. Mm, How about it. that? Okay. But if you're in my life, I love you. Mm. And it takes a lot for me not to love you. So I can put up with being treated pretty shitty sometimes. Mm. And I shouldn't. But I also feel like I'm always trying to like win the affection of somebody. And I think that, again, goes back to abandonment and all the shit from adoption. But um, basically, the more you reject me, the more I fight for you to like me. It just is disgusting. It's one of my least favorite qualities about myself. And I really don't dislike that many things about me. Not because I'm a narcissist, but because I've worked really hard to accept the things about Mm. me that I may not find super rainbowy and sparkly all the Mm -hmm. time. Um, But to have her say, like, here is a whole group of people 
that just accepted you and they just liked you and you didn't have to pretend to be someone else. You didn't have to hide certain things about you. You didn't have to censor what you were saying. You didn't have to put in all this extra effort and be who you're not. You just showed up as you are and they accepted you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) That really is a big thing though. Because I think that there's so much in our society or sometimes even in my own upbringing. And this is a conversation I have with my, um, with my friend a lot about like attaching self-worth to what we do and what we bring to relationships. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, you know, we have a lot of conversations about being codependent, you know, and how it's been a lifelong work to reestablish our, our worth, our value in ourselves as opposed to what we do mm-hmm. or what we, you know, or how we behave or whatever, you know, instead of those things. Mm-hmm. And so, so like <clears throat> slowing down and just being and acknowledging that like we are worthy of love just by being us mm-hmm. has been very profound. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the <clears throat> things that I find so odd about myself because I'm aware enough to realize that I am this way is that I don't necessarily need you to value me, Mm. but I need you not to abandon me, which keeps me stuck in very um, hurtful places where I'm not necessarily valued, but I'm kept around because I love you so much and I'll do things Mm. for people um, just because I will do it. You don't have to like me. You don't even have to reciprocate my actions or feelings. I'm going to do the things I'm going to do regardless of how you feel. But as long as you are present in some capacity, that's all I need. So I think these relationships that I've um, built with my siblings have showed me like, hey, not only are you accepted, but you're valued. And these people are going to reciprocate how you feel and they're Mm. going to match your effort. And this is how it feels to be in healthy relationship. And my friends, too. I have been really lucky in the past couple of years to make really amazing friends who do match my effort and who do care about me the same I care for them and who we can have healthy conversations Mm -hmm. um, about hard topics with. And I appreciate that a lot. But there's still that part of me that is willing to put up with the bare minimum, mm. sadly. And I know this about myself. So is this like an issue of like people pleasing then? or See, and I never thought it was people pleasing. Sure. I never felt like I was a people pleaser because I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. And because I can be like, Caleb, you're treating me like shit. Doesn't mean I'm going to do anything about the fact that you're treating me like shit, but at least I can vocalize it. So you know that I know that you're taking advantage, but mm. I'm still going to do the thing I'm going to do anyway. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, maybe it is people-pleasing. But it seems like a self-serving people-pleasing because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it so you don't leave me. That sounds like codependency. Yeah. And then I never thought I was codependent. Oh, my god! So that's like the weird thing that I'm trying to, you know, that I'm realizing Mm -hmm. in my own journey is like there are things about you that you didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) And we got to get that shit figured out. It is kind of crazy, too, to think that, like, you know, there's always still more to learn mm-hmm. about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, like, we're, each of us are deep wells, mm-hmm. you know, and all it really does take is a little bit of, you know, interest in knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that's th- why things like meditation can be really good, you know, because it's about self-knowing mm-hmm. um, and how deep that can go. That's really cool. It never ends, man. Yeah. It's a lifelong work. It is. Yeah. What do you think your biggest breakthrough is? <sighs> breakthrough? Jeez. Um, or like aha moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I think similar to you, I think it had to do with like valuing myself. Um, Because I think, you know, I have a lot of issues that are similar to yours and like I place a lot of my value, a lot of my self-worth in how other people see me. Mm-hmm. And I need a lot of validation mm-hmm. and affirmation in my life because I'm constantly doubting myself questioning my perception of things um worried that you know i'm going to say or do something that will make people not like me Mm -hmm. so there's definitely a people-pleasing aspect of my life and of the way that i move in the world and i think you know that even comes um comes into play by you know, and you've pointed this out too, that like there are so many people that like you, Caleb. And it's like, okay, yeah. Do you know what? I, I've, I've, I'm i kind of known. I, like, I've been a, most people's bartender at one point or another in Cedar Rapids because there's only so many places to go, you know. And um, I, I try to be nice and I try to be kind to people. And I think those are good things about my nature. But I think it can also get to a point where I overthink and over place value in making people like me mm-hmm. and trying to be likable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when any time that there's any kind of conflict or, um, you know, any semblance of negativity in an experience that I have with people, I will lose my mind. Mm. I get like overthinking and I get like everything. It be, it's catastrophic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, out of proportion catastrophe for me and um i think for me the biggest breakthrough is to readjust my thinking about that and it's hard because it's like a a a neuroses you know it's like a a pattern in my mind that is hard to break Mm. so it's trying to create a new like neural pathway mm-hmm. for myself to when I have those um, triggers to question them and to, I guess, come at it from a different perspective. Um, and to start with um, valuing my perspective and my experience um, and not doubting or um, trying to um, I, I feel like disenfranchise is not the right word, but to um, uh, delegitimize my experience, you know, in favor of other people's perspectives. So I don't know. Self-worth is a big one for me. I feel like what I thought of when I was listening to you is that your work is learning that it's okay if people don't like you. Yeah. And I feel like my work is learning that it's okay if people like you mm, mm-hmm. and like sure. to value actually being liked mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to be okay with being disliked. Yeah. And I think too, it's hard because, um, 
if someone doesn't necessarily like a thing about you or like a thing you said, that that doesn't mean that they don't respect you mm-hmm. or can or love you even. Um, I think I don't have a problem with being disliked, but that's my own trauma because mm. I have always felt disliked. Yeah. So for me, it's like scary to be liked mm-hmm. when people show genuine interest without me having to do anything. It freaks me out and feels really gross mm. and scary. But for you, incongruence feels scary for you. Oh, yeah. Whereas like I operate fine in conflict because I'm used to it. Sure. It's interesting. You know, and I think uh, <clears throat> even coming from the like the basis of, you know, the ways in which I move and am in the world, which is different than most people, like the way that I'm, you know, I, I'm gay and I have, you know, different issues socially than, you know, my uh, hetero friends. And I'm grateful that the therapist that I have, like, is able to see things from my perspective and is kind and compassionate and empathetic to that experience. And, um, you know, because it's, it's hard, you know, when I talk about some of the issues that I face as a, as a gay man that, like, I don't think that a cis person would really, or a hetero person would really understand, would really fully get, mm-hmm. um, or like how deep it goes because it's like around every corner, you know? And so I am so grateful that I found a therapist that, you know, is a part of the LGBTQ community, does um, work with us and uh, loves us, mm-hmm. you know? I feel like that too. I was telling um, Amanda a couple weeks ago that I was... <sighs> We were in Okaboji, which is an interesting place in Iowa if you've never been. But they have a monument somewhere. It's either in Okaboji or Spirit Lake, and it's dedicated to the indigenous tribe that was there. And I don't remember the history, so I'm not going to do the story much justice. I just know it exists. And my son had asked my dad why there, what the monument was. And mm. he said it was, you know, for the natives and um, because there was some war. Something happened there. Um, and... He used the word settlers, I think he did, between the settlers and the natives. And Benjamin asked what a settler was. And (laughs) my dad used a definition that I would not use for a settler because I think settlers are land thieves. Right. Uh, That's not the term he used. But he went on to explain that, you know, back in the day, settlers and natives fought about everything all the time. And what I teach my children is that We're on stolen land. Mm -hmm. Uh, The natives were trying to defend the land that was stolen by the whites. And that's why we're all here, because Mm -hmm. the settlers, the land thieves, came and stole the land. So I was explaining to Amanda how frustrated I get when people teach my children false history or whitewashed history, Mm -hmm. because that's not what I teach. That centers that white narrative. Yes. Or, you know, that it was like mutual conflict. But it's like it it wasn't. You came and stole their land and killed their people. Yeah, and demonized them and brutalized them. Yes, and dehumanized Mm -hmm. them. So that was not mutual. It wasn't going both ways. No. Uh, Defending yourself isn't inflicting violence upon someone who is dehumanizing you. Right. So when I was explaining to Amanda how I hate that shit, Mm -hmm. she totally understood what I was coming from and, you know, reinforced the importance of me talking to my kids about things that are real 
um, and the real roots of all of these things. Yeah. And I often think that my kids are going to be resentful because on days like Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know, when they go to school and learn about the pilgrims and the Indians. I'm the like, colonizers. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, they're <laughs> fucking colonizers. And that's exactly what I say. I'm yep. like, it, they weren't sitting there breaking bread. The mm. natives had no choice. Like, at some point, you have to comply mm -hmm. with your abuser so that you're not abused. Right. I mean, it it's so nuanced and so deep. But to have someone understand why those things frustrate me and not try and argue with me, but be like, yeah, what you're saying is important and you need to keep talking to your kids like that. That means a lot. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Having someone that loves you and your community and the people that are important is a game changer. Yeah. That was something I did not have in therapy before. Mm. It's uh, yeah, it's a game changer for sure. Mm -hmm. um, one last thing <clears throat> that I want to kind of bring up is I, and maybe this is just because I, my algorithm is all, you know, woke, woke and very <laughs> focused on the things that I'm like liking and whatever. But I see a lot of like Instagram and TikTok like therapists mm -hmm. and therapy, um, therapy speak and um i wonder what your perspective is on um that that it's becoming so much more like there's a bunch of people following these like social media accounts of therapists who are kind of like talking about trauma and talking about adhd and talking about um attachment theory and talking talking about codependency and all these different things like do you feel like it's helpful or unhelpful both okay because I think it's bringing awareness and giving access to a lot of people who would not pay attention otherwise or would not mm. have access to some of those terms sure. without. Um, when it comes to ADHD, I feel like, and I read this somewhere, and I never remember where I read things, but neurodivergency was created by cis hetero white men or the term was mm. you know or the thought of a neurodivergent brain was created by cis hetero white men and inherently those were the people that decided that it was okay to enslave people that it was mm. um that proximity to whiteness was important they right. created race well it becomes part of that dominant culture right so there has to be a neurotypical in order for there to be a neurodivergent exactly there so, has to be a dominant culture for there to be a subculture yes. or like a, a culture to be subjugated or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing is particularly around ADHD is that maybe those people that defined the neurotypical stereotype weren't actually neurotypical and that maybe neurodivergence is neurotypical. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that as a society, I would like us to dig deeper into some of those stereotypes. I have heard people because I am one who was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Makes a lot of sense to me now as an adult, but some of those people that were diagnosed as children are like, you can't just be diagnosed at 30. So I feel like there are a group of people who run around calling themselves neurodivergent that might not be, mm. um, because we all have different <clears throat> levels of neurodivergent traits. Right. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, squirrel. Yeah. A I mean, I was diagnosed as ADHD when I was a kid mm -hmm. and I don't have 
I know I'm not medicated. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't feel like any time that I've ever seen a doctor, they're like, oh, this shows up on your charts. It's like, nope. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that even is still a thing in my life. Or does it, does it go away? LOL. LOL. <laughs> yeah. I don't Doubt know. it. <laughs> I, helpful and harmful. Right. I'm glad that it's bringing more awareness to things. And also, I don't want people to be self-diagnosing at home Mm-mm. because these are actual trained, well, it should be diagnosed by a trained medical professional, sure. not by yourself. I think my problem with it is that it's taken out of context. You know, it's making like a lot of big general sweeping um, statements about, you know, these kinds of diagnoses or these kinds of disorders or whatever. Um, and I think I've seen a couple of memes or whatever that are essentially like my TikTok therapist told me that I'm ADHD or told me that I'm like that I have a narcissistic abusive boyfriend or whatever and it's like okay you know maybe mm-hmm. i don't know but it definitely does seem that like um there's this aspect of like learning therapists speak or therapy mm-hmm. speak and then like throwing that into everyday conversation and becoming like these buzzwords that nobody really actually knows what they mean or like within the context of you know the actual diagnosis or the actual um experience of those things and uh it almost feels relatively toxic i'm thinking jonah hill yeah right um and how that was a big thing because Mm -hmm. he was using basically using his boundaries to Mm -hmm. control his uh then girlfriend's sexuality Mm -hmm. or her experience on social media right and so in order to give like credence to his abuse essentially yes right yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a difference between setting about ba- boundaries are for you right you set them you don't make mm-hmm. other people set them on your behalf like right. that person either accepts your boundary or not um it's not really like a shared thing yeah yeah i agree it's it can be dangerous mm. and then one last thing oh my gosh i okay. know i know you keep going uh, is that I feel like if any of our listener, listeners are not in therapy, what the fuck are you doing? Get yourself into therapy, ASAP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. all I got to say. Or start contributing to my copay. Right. <laughs> I'm going to therapy for all the shit you're putting me uh, through. You know, and I wish that therapy was more accessible, you know, with insurance and all that stuff. And, and sometimes it's not. But um, so I say that with a grain of salt, you know, or take that with a grain of salt. I just... I wish more people had access to it. And, you know, if you feel like if you know if you have insurance and you're not getting therapy and you feel like maybe you should, that's probably a sign that you should just look it up. Mm -hmm. And also, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with therapy. Mm -mm. There's nothing wrong with medication. No, Um, there's nothing wrong with not being medicated. It's whatever works for you. And everyone's journey is different. You need to find something that works for you. It's your own personal experience. Mm -hmm. I can't compare my mental health journey to Caleb's. Mm -mm. Um, We're unique in where we're at. Right. It's an, it's a aspect of self-knowledge and of self-care, you know, take care of yourselves, get to know yourself better. Um, You know, be the best, fullest version of you that you can be. Mm -hmm. So that's all I got. Yeah. It is a long life, and you are the only one who is with you from day one to day final. Right. So if you don't like you, you're going to suffer horribly. What's that song? It's your life. It's now or never. And I ain't going to live forever. Yeah, that one. It's my life by John Bon Jovi. There you go. 
This ain't a song for the broken hearted. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's the song I was going for. Thank you. Yeah. We love you guys. Um, I like you. Oh. Go like, <laughs> share, follow. OMG. I, that was disgusting. Caleb just fucking slurped his empty iced coffee. On the mic, as we all heard. You're welcome. I love you. Bye. Wow, that was fucked up. Go follow us. (laughs) Like, share, subscribe. We love you. Take therapy. Peace out.